Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Will Lomas, Matthias Wadner. We are thrilled that you are joining us today. If you like what you're listening to and want more of the No Nonsense podcast, be sure to subscribe or follow wherever you're listening for easier and faster access to our episodes. And connect with us on social media at No Nonsense Pod, both Twitter and Facebook. Guys, the Titans are in the playoffs. The Titans won on Sunday to advance to the playoffs, and that puts the three of us in the playoffs as well with our coverage. It's playoff time, guys. Very exciting stuff. We're going to talk about a lot of flaws that this Titans team has. Uh, but this was a successful season for the Titans. I mean, be- before we get into some of the per- particulars of all of this, you know, the first division championship in eight years, the Derrick Henry 2,000-yard accomplishment, A.J. Brown another 1,000-yard season, we'll get into all of that in a minute. But first, looking back on purely the regular season, despite some of the maddening things we saw from this team that made the three of us want to pull our hair out. It was a successful regular season for the Titans. I would say a rousing success. Yeah, I, you, you don't win 11 games in the NFL and deem it not a success. Uh, not a success. Uh, so from that point of view, it definitely was. And they did what they set out to accomplish, which was win the division. It was a little closer than they probably wanted and probably closer than they imagined after they started out. 5-0, and oh, but they got there. It was a little bit of a bumpy ride, but they did get there, uh, and they're hosting a playoff game, which is what everyone wanted and what everyone envisioned after uh, they made it to the AFC Championship game last year. So I can't say I'm disappointed. I, I, do, I am left with a weird kind of bittersweet taste in my mouth because of some of their performances, but they did what they set out to accomplish, and I'm proud of them for that for sure. I generally think anytime you have a winning season, it's a good accomplishment. 11 wins is obviously overkill and it's great. And, you know, you love to see it, but I, I'm not somebody who thinks nine and seven season is a bad season just because the old cliche, like, you know, it's hard to win football games in the NFL. So it, I, of course it's a great season. It, you know, it's regular seasons. So we kind of have to temper our praise because I think the Titans franchise is beyond that at this point. But, you know, through whatever ups and downs I've had, a ton of injuries, you know, 
as a whole, I think this has been a good coaching effort and, you know, the best players have made big plays and stepped up and improved their game. I I have issues that I'm sure we'll talk about now and we'll talk about throughout the offseason, but just in terms of was the season a success, you don't win 11 games by accident. Like something has to be going well. So, yeah, of, of course it is. We've got a great episode for you today as we look ahead to the Titans' first playoff matchup against the Baltimore Ravens. If you've been listening to us for a while, you may remember Ken McCusick, who came up on with us last year before the division game to talk about the Ravens. He is, does a lot of Ravens film analysis. He's a very football-savvy guy. We loved having him last year. So we gave him the invite to come back. He accepted So we are going to have Ken on later on in the show to tell us everything we need to know about the Baltimore Ravens. But first, we've got a lot to talk about, of course, with the Tennessee Titans. Let's start with the biggest storyline from this game, which is that Derrick Henry became just the eighth player in the history of the National Football League to rush for 2,000 yards in a single season. You know, obviously, uh, because I was a bit of a late bloomer with football, I, I did not, you know, pay attention to Chris Johnson's season. I was not, you know, ha- I had no affiliation with with the Titans back then. So this is the first time that, for me, I have watched, you know, all sixteen games of a two thousand yard rushing season. And my sort of takeaway from sort of having a front row seat to all of this in terms of of, of seeing every snap, every carry that Derrick Henry has had is. While I, I still will hold to that, I don't think Henry is as talented of a player as Adrian Peterson was, but that's not the debate to have today. I have never seen anyone make it look as easy as Derrick Henry makes it look. It, 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 was, it was to the point where him rushing for, what, 220, 240 yards against Houston on Sunday was not even like a moment where you know you step back and go, wow, that was really impressive. You just kind of go, yeah, that's Derrick Henry, 240, okay. Like, that's just kind of what he does. He just makes it look so easy. He makes, he, he makes the impossible look routine. And this has been a truly dominant season for him after a bit of a slow start. And you, you just have to give it up to not just Derrick Henry, but to his offensive line, uh, but also to the Titans for having enough faith in Henry and for knowing what they had slash have in him to go away from the don't sign running backs crowd. Because generally, I do think that that is true. This was the exception to the rule. I think that was clear to the three of us for the beginning. Props to the Titans to paying him when he needed to be paid. What an incredible season from the engine behind the Titans offense. Yeah, we talked about it when it happened. He was the exception. and He was probably really the only exception except for maybe Chris McCaffrey uh, just because of his receiving ability also. But we saw what happened with him this year uh, where his body kind of broke down. He had several injuries and, and he couldn't uh, complete most of the season. Uh, that's never been a problem with Henry, and I think that's another aspect uh, to why you pay a guy like this. Like, he is just so much bigger, so much faster than everyone else. He's just kind of an abnormal human being, uh, and he's absolutely absolutely the exception uh, to the rule. 
I was around when Chris Johnson did that uh, 2000, had that 2000 yard season. Uh, I watched every single game. It was one of the weirdest seasons in, in, in Titans history, I would say, because we started out 0-5, uh, and Kerry Collins was the quarterback. That was the season after we went 13-3 and and we lost to the Ravens uh, in our first playoff game. Uh, so Kerry Collins gets benched. Vince, Vince Young, you guys remember Vince Young? He gets inserted during that season in the sixth game, and then that's when Chris Johnson just starts racking up these insane games, and it was like, we were just watching greatness, which we hadn't in, in, in such a long time. And it was such a fun ride uh, because like Henry, he was the entire offense because he was also such a great receiver out of the backfield. But like you mentioned, this felt different, at least to me, because, yeah, we were watching greatness. But Henry just makes it look so easy and so like generic the way he just picks up these chunk gains and then he goes off for 50 70 90 yards and it's just like he's just out wrecking everyone even though he's like 6'3 250 pounds and it makes no sense but he makes this seem routine uh which it's not and it's a pleasure to watch and uh, i'm so glad that we were able to watch a season like this from henry and also a season uh like the one in 2009 from chris johnson because We've made the the comparison between the two because of their breakaway speed and their home run hitting ability, but they are really very different in terms of uh, their running styles, their running form, their playing style. So it's pretty awesome that we were able to watch two of the best running back seasons that we've ever seen in the NFL. And everybody praises his durability like it's it's exceptional he he never looks out of breath all these are cliches that you've heard about him a billion times but you know you watch him and i i swear there's times where he gets rocked and then every time he does he gets up fine and the other guy stays on the ground like i you never see him as the one who's you know reeling from a blow even when he gets hurt he comes back and has a better game than he left with it, to, to kind of explain how dominant he was, I wrote an article on Titan-sized uh, projecting whether or not he could finish with 2,000 yards back before the first call game. And at that point, he only had 800 yards. Like, it, it sounds crazy to say because it's not like he was on some historic pace. He was not on pace to break 2,000 yards. But because we know how he plays in December, because you know how it was you know, his best statistical start in his entire career, it just felt like there was a chance and it it happened, you know, and that's not some necessarily some great foresight by me or anything like that. It's just that he's done so exceptionally well for such a long time that it's at the point where you can say, okay, well, do you think he'll have five 200 yard games in the season or four 200 yard games of the season? And, for every other running back in history, the answer is no, of course not. But for him, it's just like, sure. I mean, if they don't take him out in the fourth quarter because they're ahead, then yeah. And that's another incredible thing is this is not a time where it was the fourth quarter and they were using him to grind out games. That's not how they used Henry. Uh, they pulled him out in at least three or four games and let other running backs carry the ball in the fourth quarter because they were trying to preserve him a little bit, even though they were giving him such a high touch number. So yeah, 
it, it it's just it's just incredible. And he was also a guy who's not on the field on third downs. Like it, it's not a guy who's playing a hundred percent of the snaps on offense. He plays first and second down. And then if it's third and two, he's out there. If it's anything more than third and two, they're taking him off the field because they want to have somebody in there they can trust in pass protection and who can catch the passes out of the backfield. And it's it, it, when you say it like that, it sounds like you're talking about a limited player, but it's just not. It's just you know what he's good at. You don't ask him to do things he's not good at. And he's so exceptional that you almost forget that he's not on the field for half the plays. Like it. It's it's incredible, and the only way I've thought I can describe it to people who haven't really watched him specifically and taken in what he is, he is, and I want to know what y'all think about this, he, to me, is the best aspects of what Eddie George did and what Chris Johnson did, the two, two of the best four running backs in Titans history. Like, he has home run ability. He never seems to be the one that takes – the brunt of the damage, even when it looks like he gets whacked, like all the things Chris Johnson had, well, but he gets more four yard gains and five yard gains instead of four runs for zero yards. And then one for 90. Look, Eddie George is one of the more overrated players in the last 20 years of the NFL. I think the three of us have been fairly consistent with that point. He was excellent for culture. Uh, he was excellent for what he was asked to do to act like he was some sort of special talent when he played or that his production was extraordinary is overreaction. So, of course, I think Derrick Henry is and has been since his transformation a year or so ago a better player than Eddie George. Chris Johnson was useless on his second contract, and Derrick Henry is already proven that the second contract was worth every penny. So... I think that's separating him from Chris Johnson uh, to begin with. And, and also, Will, you, you've touched on the points about Henry's durability. Uh, he, he did get a little hurt toward the end of last year, but he, he he kept powering on through. He only missed one game, and that was because the game itself didn't count. And and I'm kind of surprised you know, Tannehill even played in that game, to be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry's a better running back than Chris Johnson because Chris Johnson did have a a very fantastic 2009 season. There was no point where we were sitting around saying, you know, oh, Chris Johnson's in the Hall of Fame because the second half of his career was a dud until he got to the Arizona Cardinals. With Derrick Henry, now, and I believe I've talked about this on the podcast before, I am very stingy when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I do not believe in the Hall of Very Good. I, I texted you guys the other day. I said, Derrick Henry is, is on his way to being a Hall of Famer. We are watching true athletic greatness happening in the NFL on the Tennessee Titans with Derrick Henry. And you all know, I, I am not Mr. Let's Hand Out the Compliments. Like, But what we are seeing is spectacular. So, yeah, I put him way above both Eddie George and Chris Johnson, and I don't think that that is... I mean, a terribly difficult thing to say. No, and yeah, it's it's still a little early, obviously, because we don't know what's going to happen in football. Anything could change uh, in an instant, but he's certainly on the path. And I think what he has over a lot of these other running backs, but even someone like Chris Johnson, is that he's had so many defining moments in his career and his career is far from over. I mean, all of the stiff arms, all of the breakaway runs, uh, the runs against the Jaguars, the, the the truckings, everything. It's just he's a guy that 
everyone remembers and pretty much every NFL fan is like, oh, yeah, Derrick Henry, that guy is really good because everyone just remembers these moments uh, that he has had throughout his career and he's probably going to continue to have. Uh, and I do think he's definitely headed towards the Hall of Fame. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how his career unfolds. But I, I think his his game and, and his body type and his size and all that, it lends itself to a long and fruitful career, uh, hopefully all in Tennessee. And hopefully that includes uh, a Super Bowl championship or two because that will definitely endear him with the Hall of Fame voters like we, we've seen with Terrell Davis of the Broncos who – didn't really have a long career. Uh, I think he had like four 1,000-yard seasons, but he got in because he won two Super Bowls. So uh, if Henry keeps uh, running like this, or, or at least even half of it, uh, and he starts picking up uh, even more playoff wins, he's definitely he's definitely going to get in. Yeah, and to that point, I just looked up how many uh, running backs have had multiple 1,500-yard seasons. It's a short list, and – Derrick Henry has two. He had one last year where he led the NFL, and then obviously the 2,000 yard this year. Uh, there's only one running back in history, uh, sorry, two running backs in history that have had uh, more than two of those and have not been in the Hall of Fame. And that's, oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, it's just one. Uh, Sean Alexander was the person I'm thinking about. He only got two. Uh, Tiki Barber is the other one, and he had three. But once you get to three, the names are. LaDainian Tomlinson, Emmett Smith, O.J. Simpson, uh, Terrell Davis, Jim Brown, uh, Tiki Barber. Then Walter Payton has four. Uh, Edron James has four. Eric Dickerson has four. And Barry Sanders has five. So once you get to three, you're basically a Hall of Famer, whether you get 2,000 yards or not, just just based on historical context. So it's not an overreaction. Uh, I, I obviously don't think you're making an overreaction, but just when you look at the statistics out there and you see, you know, he's one of only two guys with 2,000 yards and 15-plus touchdowns in a season, and it, it's the first time that somebody's repeated this rushing champion since LaDainian Tomlinson. Like, all these different stats that we see, like, it's not just that he's had a good season, and it's not just that he has, he's had two good seasons. It's He's had two of the best running back seasons in the last 20 years, and he's had them back-to-back, and it doesn't include some of his best performances, which was the playoff run last year. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's not overstating, and it's something that we've said before, but we really need to enjoy what we're watching because it's, it's rare. You just don't see it. I want to talk about, real quick, two other things that to me are impressive about the Derrick Henry situation. Number one, and Paul Kaharski brought this up in the, the post-game Zoom interviews after the game, when he was talking to, to Dennis Kelly, he, he mentioned that you know when Chris Johnson got his 2,000 yards, the Titans were not good. It sort of became a team mission to get him the 2,000 yards, whereas Derrick Henry's, for the most part, came by game flow. And happened to an 11-win team that won its division. So that, to me, is impressive. Also impressive is the fact that when Adrian Peterson had his 2,000 yards, he was literally the entirety of that offense, which had Christian Ponder at quarterback and the likes of Jerome Simpson and other similar talents at wide receiver. The Titans have a 2,000-yard rusher. Nearly had two thousand two two one thousand yard receivers. Corey Davis almost got there, so let, let's just call it what it is. They have two thousand yard receivers, and Corey Davis and AJ Brown. 
a 4,000-yard quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who accounted for 40 touchdowns. Like, this is one of the best offenses of the last 20 years. I mean, this is this offense is up there, you know, maybe not quite – they're not. They're not that level, but they're only like half a tier down from like – 2013 Broncos, 2016, I guess it was, Atlanta Falcons. This offense is unbelievable, and it's fair to wonder, we'll get to the defense in a little bit, how much better they would be if they were ever to, you know, get help from the defense. They're, like, legitimately close to the greatest show on turf, and, like, no one talks about it because – People still have this stigma about Ryan Tannehill, and they just cannot get over it. Uh, they also can't get over the Tennessee Titans, who have been so bad for so long, actually being an offensive powerhouse. But that's what they've become, and it's also gotten overshadowed by the fact that the defense is just horrendous, like you said. And it has dragged uh, the team down. It has kind of dragged down the the image of the team in a lot of casual fans' eyes. And it sucks because— Tannehill isn't getting as much praise as he probably should. A.J. Brown probably isn't getting as much praise as he should. Corey Davis either. Arthur Smith either. Well, Arthur Smith is getting head coaching interviews, so he kind of is. But I, I think it, it, it's important to to really realize the true offensive greatness that we've been able to see uh, and cherish it because I, I've said this before. Like, this doesn't last. Like, offensive success to this level in the NFL – uh, it doesn't last. Uh, players get older. Uh, defensive coaches start to, you know, hone in on your on your tendencies and your weaknesses. So I think we really need to live in the moment and, and appreciate what we're seeing because we might not ever see it again. Like the Titans are averaging what thirty one points a game. This is insane. We we have never seen this, uh, and I don't know for how much longer we're gonna see it. But I hope it leads to. Uh, playoff success uh, starting this year. Yeah, and I I don't want to do this kind of in this cool what the Titans have done thing uh, again, but somebody we haven't talked about yet is A.J. Brown, who uh, when you look at sort of what he's done over the first two years, it doesn't necessarily jump off the page, but there's only been nine receivers in history since the NFL merger who've had 1,000 yards in both their first two seasons. Uh, it's Odell Beckham, A.J. Brown, Marquise Colston, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, uh, John Jefferson, Randy Moss, and Michael Thomas. And nobody's done it with fewer receptions than A.J. Brown. So you, you think about these explosive, just incredible players like – I mean, it doesn't get more explosive or incredible than Randy Moss or Odell Beckham when they were first coming into the league. And yet, I mean, A.J. Brown's right there with him. You know, he didn't play in two games this season, three games. I think it was two games. But he also was banged up. I mean, every time he gets hit, you can see that he's feeling it. But, he, you know, he's got that Nate Washington in him where he hops up and he just goes back on the field and does his work and suffers in silence. Like, I, I, I don't know. It's it's easy to focus on Derrick Henry. He's the six three Heisman winning, you know, centerpiece of your franchise right now. It's easy when AJ Brown catches passes to to talk about him and notice him, but I, I, I don't know. Like it's there's something phenomenal happening and you know, I, I don't want to make this John Robinson is 
is amazing. We should talk about how good he is. But both those guys are second round picks. Like, you know, it, it's it's truly impressive the talent that's on this team now. And I think we're all just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But it may just be, you know, they're a really good team that's acquired talent slowly over the years and has two players who are clearly in a echelon of where their careers are headed and also several players who if we keep seeing what we're seeing they're also pro bowl all pro type players and it's just it's never happened in tennessee's history before so uh please enjoy this for as, as much as the defense probably distracts and i know aggravates me and keeps me from enjoying the season the way i should Please enjoy this because there's a good chance that we never see this again from any team, much less from the Titans. Do you guys want to guess how many double-digit target games A.J. Brown has in his career? Like two? Two. Two. Legitimately <laughs> two. One, and one he's gone Raiders. over 1,000 yards in, in both of his seasons. He's a good football player. One of, them, uh, yes. one of them was literally this week. And... The other one was last year against the Raiders. Houston also, no, it was Houston. Oh, no. Crazy. Against the against the Raiders, he just he, he had that like eighty yard touchdown. Goodness gracious! He's also like an insane yards per reception machine, which yeah. we've never seen before. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Again, it's like you know everybody talks about DK Metcalf, and I get it. DK Metcalf is is fantastic, and he's again the bigger like flashier guy because he's in a pass heavy offense but when you look at the restrictions that AJ Brown's had with an injury that he's dealt with with not starting he he had a hamstring injury in in camp last year like they didn't know if he's gonna be ready for the first game of the season fast forward to now and he's at 2,000 yard receiving uh, receiving seasons and like I said he's done it on 122 receptions which is less than anybody in history uh, I mean it's it's just remarkable you know what's not remarkable? The defense. You know, I went on a rant before the show to Will. I'm going to give sort of another version of it. I don't – I'm tired of talking about the defense. It, it feels – you know, when, when you write a column after every game and you have to talk about the Titans for an hour once a week, two jobs that I love very much. But, Lord, when you have to talk about the same thing – Every week. And it's not like the narrative changes from week to week. We're literally talking about the same problems, the same bullcrap answers in the press conferences. This defense is terrible. And you run out of creative ways to write about it and talk about it. And at this point, we've just had, we've had the same discussion Every episode for the last at least ten weeks now, you, 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 it, we've just like been phrasing it differently every week. They gave up thirty-eight points to a four-win team. I don't care who the quarterback is. The Texans are deeply flawed. They fired their coach a month into the season, and this defense—goodness gracious—if we have to see this defense play Patrick Mahomes, good night. It's over. I don't even want to have the conversation of like, you know, the, the the pivot off of that is, so is the Titans offense good enough to be winning despite the defense in the playoffs? We've been having that conversation for two months. It's so like, 
I mean, after the game, I felt bad because I, I was so, you know, blown away by Derrick Henry's performance, by A.J. Brown getting to 1,000 yards. But you know what I had to write about after that game? When I sat down and I said, what's the story from this game? What's the takeaway from this game? The takeaway from this game, or that game, was that the Titans almost lost to a four-win team. If it wasn't for the double doink with with the pudgy kicker dude that filled in for Guskowski, that game would have gone to overtime, and who knows what would have happened if Houston had won the coin toss. I'll tell you what would have happened. They would have scored a touchdown and won the game, and the Titans wouldn't have won the division, and, and they would be traveling to, I presume, Buffalo this week. I almost felt bad because I wanted to praise Henry. I wanted to praise A.J. Brown because they deserve it. But this defense is so bad that they take the focus away and they take the honor away from everything that is good about this team. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> I'm fanning the flames over here. I think my fire alarm just went off with all those uh, all those words <laughs> and takes that I just heard from Luke. Well, that's how I feel too. And I, I, I like... That's why I said earlier, like, I had a bittersweet feeling about the season. I had a very bittersweet feeling after this game because it's just like, I don't know, man. We're duped with this defense. Like, you cannot win giving up this many points. We've given up 78 points over the last two weeks. It's absolutely absurd. And we've played two really good quarterbacks. Sure. Well, what do you think happens in the playoffs? You play against good quarterbacks and good offenses. And it just seems like it's probably going to end up in a disastrous result. I don't know because the NFL, anything could happen any given Sunday or Saturday because of the playoffs. But, I mean, I I, I, I messaged you guys. I said if we play Mahomes in the playoffs, he's going to throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns. And I think I might have undersold it because this defense is, is that lost. They are never in the right position they can't cover anyone. They can't really defend the run very well. I mean, David Johnson was 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 going off at one point in the game. That was really weird. The corpse of David Johnson. They can't pass rush. Uh, they can't do anything right. But we, we've talked about this enough. I, I don't know what else I can even say other than it's incredibly annoying. And I think it's really going to bite them in the butt in the playoffs because you just can't win like this. Uh, you can't rely on your offense to score 30, 40 points every game. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I, I really do. I really do. And I, I'm just laughing. I, I can't help but laugh uh, when when some people thought the defense turned the corner when we got Desmond King and uh, and we played Nick Foles in the Bears game. Oh, my God. Titans fans will, will convince themselves of anything. But that turned out uh, to be completely wrong. Yeah, and their the, wonderful performances from this year were against noodle-arm Nick Foles and the long neck Tyrannosaurus Rex, Mike Glennon. Yeah, yeah, those are those were really cool, cool games. <laughs> As the uh, resident, cool-headed, uh, relaxed, non-take expert of the group, <laughs> uh, yeah, like <laughs> it's pretty terrible. I hate everything about it. Uh, we, I, I, you know. As you, listeners can probably guess, we have talked about this off air and on and. Uh, Specifically, I said before, you know, we can talk about this as much as we want. The, the obvious thing to do is hire a defensive coordinator and just burn any documentation that Shane Bowen was, you know, whatever. But it, they're just going to run it back. Like, 
if you think if you think it's bad now, wait until we're in March talking about and trying to justify why Shane Bowen's defense will be better this year. Like, you know, thank goodness for Harold Landry and his his current sack streak of one game, which is starting strong <laughs> playoffs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, be- uh, Harold Landry is low key very good. Like, I I don't know. I don't want to get into this part of the argument again, but yeah, it, it does it does frustrate you because. The most upsetting thing, and it's something that I've focused on more and more and more as we've headed throughout the season, is I did not agree with a lot of things that Dean Pease did. I thought he was too passive and he could have been more aggressive. But when you look at the results, it's just – I mean, it's staggering how much better the defense was last year when we thought it was a middling unit, maybe above average, which it was. But to look at – how historically bad we are and to watch this defense and to see the same mistakes week in and week out, same excuses from the coaching staff, same excuses from the players over and over and over. It, it, it truly does sap all the joy away from the fact that you have a historically great offense might never happen again the same way. It's unique. It's multiple. It can attack you in different ways, whatever, but you know, as soon as Tannehill scores, you're going to have to watch the defense. And most likely in four to 12 minutes, depending on how fast they let the other team score, the Titans are going to be off the field and the score is going to be back to where it was before the offense drove down and scored the last time. Like it's just a constant game of catch up or praying that the other team makes a big mistake. Look, I mean, four minutes is a pretty, pretty high threshold, man. They could get there in way under four minutes. If the if the Titans, oh, yeah, sure. if, if the Titans go one and done the year after uh, losing in the AFC championship game, I mean, the narrative is the defense ruined it for them. That if they lose, that's why they would lose. This is not a out there thing to say that the Titans should not lose to the Baltimore Ravens because of the offense. And the narrative has been, and we've said this over and over again, you don't even need an average defense. You just need like a passable assignment-based defense. And you can't even get that. It's like all-time bad at third down and sacks. Although they miraculously got four of those against the Texans. They just, it's... It's bad, and, and you know, over the offseason, we're obviously going to have the conversation about what the future is, and I'll say it now. If, if, if Mike Vrabel doesn't do anything, if, if he does like you suggested he might will, if he just runs it back, uh, I, I will crush him o- over these airwaves and with my keyboard because I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand how you can watch this defense and then say, oh, yeah, I want more of that. I'm going to try to be a little optimistic and say that there's at least a silver lining that the Titans defense has played Lamar Jackson very well in both of the matchups that they've had against them. But I don't know. Like, the Ravens have played much better since that matchup this year. Uh, And granted, last year's matchup, we had an actual defensive coordinator, and it was different. But they, they do seem to know what Lamar Jackson's weaknesses are, and they do seem to be able to take advantage of it. So maybe, maybe there's a silver lining there. I also we don't talk enough 
uh, about the Bills game earlier this year. Holding Josh Allen and that Bills offense to 16 points was that was like the eighth under wonder of the world. That that's one of the mysteries well, of the universe. How that was even I, possible? I think they I got don't lucky understand. in that one because I, I think the same thing happened in that game that happened in the divisional playoff game last year, where uh, same thing happened. Lamar and and Josh Allen in those two games both threw interceptions on the first drive, and I think it just rattled yeah. them quickly, and they never got out of their own heads for the rest of the game. Yeah, I think if we played the Bills again in the playoffs. It would end fifty to forty nine or something like that. Yeah, I was gonna say it'll, it'll be a high scoring affair. Speaking of, of final scores, I, I did want to share this. Uh, I was looking it up because I, I've said for a long time that Titans fans should just expect the Titans to allow thirty points and just hope it doesn't all come in one half. But in the last seven games, they've held opponents to twenty five points or fewer twice, and it was against Jacksonville in week 14 and against the Ravens in week 11. So the good news is the, the best defense we've seen from the Titans in the last, you know, two months has come against the Jaguars and against the Ravens. So, you know, they, it's not like this is a team that's going to throw a lot at them. It's not like this is a team that, you know, was real banged up on offense and they just dragged themselves into the game. Like, I mean, they weren't COVID riddled or anything like that. Like, this is a team that got hot after they played the Titans, and the Titans played them in a time when you know they were, you know, still just as equipped to thrive as they have been the past five weeks. But they managed to keep them out of the end zone and do their job. So, you know, like I, I, I've obviously said that how much I don't like the defense and how I have issues with it and stuff like that before. But for whatever reason. Uh, and I think this is pretty true of Vrabel. Whenever he plays somebody twice in pretty recent proximity, he generally does a better job against him the second time than he does against him the first time. So, uh, you know, you would hope that the fact that the Titans have done so much better in rematches over the last 12 months and since they've done so much better against, you know, the Ravens than anybody else over the last calendar year, uh, you would you would think those are positive signs. You would think it's positive that the Titans have a Dory now. And, you know, they're the only difference is they don't have Jayon Brown, who they didn't have for the second half of that game, which was a good defensive half anyway. Like there are issues, but at the same time, generally this is a healthier Titans defense. And it's not like they're going to be blown away with how fast Lamar Jackson is. We're going to talk a lot more about the Ravens in just a second when Ken McCusick joins the show. We're very much looking forward to that. He's a big film guy. He, he, he is essentially, as I described him last year, I think, the Ravens edition of if, if you follow Titans Film Room on Twitter. He's very smart. He's very football savvy. We look forward to talking to Ken in 30 seconds. All right, so we are joined now by Ken McCusick. You may remember he joined us last year when the Titans were in the playoffs about to face the Ravens. Ken, we'll go ahead and hop right into this. You know, last year's Ravens team was sort of the, uh, you know, everyone's favorite team to win the Super Bowl. They had such an impressive regular season. This year has been a little bit more shaky. I think they're still certainly a solid team. They still have much of the same core that won them as many games as they did in 2019, but the record is not as good. So as we start out, Ken, what are the primary differences you see between the 2020 version of the Baltimore Ravens and what we saw from them last year? 
Well, I think they're they're not as good a team defensively in at inside linebacker in particular. That's probably the biggest thing. And it's it's funny to say that because last year they had to rebuild the inside linebacking core on the fly during the season, but they did it with a couple of veterans, with Josh Bynes and with LJ Fort, and they both played very well. This year they've been struggling through some rookie pains with Patrick Queen, and uh, he hasn't been terrific. He has improved as the season's gone on. Um, but uh, he hasn't played that well, certainly, this year. And, and the, uh, all of the uh, other players inside linebacker are also struggling. Ravens have not had their signature dime defense on the field yet. That may change Sunday. But they have not had a third safety they trust to be on the field. Last year, they played 42.1% dime and quarter packages. This year, it's down to 16.4%, and that's just a huge difference. It means Chris Board, a third inside linebacker that they use in passing situations, has been in there. And that's been, to me, the biggest difference is they haven't been quite the closers they were on third down. They've still been good, but, uh, you know, you, you as a Titans know how important it is to shut people off, the, take people off the field on third down. Yeah, and, and kind of talking about that, Calais Campbell is somebody who the Titans have – struggled to to block since his time in Jacksonville and he is kind of hated from the fan base which you know it happens when you get three sacks in a game and basically in the career Marcus Mariota in a single game but he started to dial back his reps I've noticed that he's not ever since he came back from the calf injury he's not a full-time starter he plays like 20 to 30 snaps in this new super successful version of the Ravens that we've seen over the last five weeks. Is that because he's not as effective or is that because they just like different matchups more when he's not on the field and they want to keep him fresh or am I just reading into that too much? All right. I'll I'll give you the whole story for the season as I see it is that he came in here as a guy who at age 34 in his last five seasons, that's from 29 to 33 had played every year between 77 and 80% of snaps, just an absurd workload Uh, is one of the, biggest iron men in the NFL. When he started with the Ravens here, I thought, okay, he's probably going to play 65% of the snaps here because they're going to dial it back some just because of age and the Ravens are much more of a rotational system that likes to keep their players fresh, likes to do that. And that's about where he ended up. He was, he was running right around 59% prior to the injury. And they came back from the injury and he hasn't, He's been better every week, but he hasn't been completely right yet, in my opinion, and he's been playing less, as you mentioned, maybe about a third of the snaps since he he came back from the injury. So he missed some time. That obviously cut into his snap count percentage. And then since he's been back, they've been ramping up his playing time a little bit week after week. And this, this week, I think the big deal will be the big difference from the first game this year against the Titans is the Ravens should have five active, healthy workload linemen uh, in there that uh, it will include Williams and Campbell who are not there for the first game. So last last time, I don't know if you guys remember this, but the Ellis, Justin Ellis played 55 snaps in the game and one of his highest career workloads. And of course that Ravens defense wore down as the game uh, as went on and didn't have Brandon Williams. You know, Ken, the the Titans' defense has been somewhat of an atrocity in 2020, but the one thing that is interesting about them that, that Will and I have talked about is that they have been good at stopping Lamar Jackson. We saw them do it in the divisional round in, in 2019, and then we saw them do it a couple of months ago when these two teams faced off in the regular season. What is it that you think the Titans have done so well in those last two matchups to sort of rattle Lamar Jackson, and is it possible to do it a third time? Uh, it, it's always possible that they'll 
find a new way, but I think they, they are going to have to find a new method. So last year it was a lot of gap, gap exchanges, scrape exchanges into uh, making sure that Lamar did not take advantage of that edge, a lot of it by bringing Logan Ryan down to the box and, and, uh, and getting him to be on Jackson for those read option plays. Uh, you know they they have other ways to stop it, but the but the Ravens don't run out of the pistol nearly as much as they did last year, and the pistol is generally designed to to let that back get the nice running start through the mesh point and and make a downhill run while Jackson makes an outside leverage beating run on that edge defender, and the Ravens don't run that much this year anymore. They run the out of king queen or sidecar or whatever you want to call it where they have a back next to jackson instead of behind jackson in the pistol and that creates usually two outside threats which which go with run and jackson has been mostly a runner right up the middle that's been where he's done a lot of his running when you see him otherwise running to the edge most typically that's been on a scramble so uh he's he's been very effective again this year with the scrambles not like last year where he rushed for 11 yards of scramble but he's still been very good and the, what they've gotten from J.K. Dobbins in terms of outside speed, in terms of Snead and Duvernay and some of the other outside weapons they can show on a jet sweep have, have been worked together very well. And the Ravens' rush offense is every bit as dangerous right now as it was in 2019. Well, the, the good news is Luke kind of alluded to it, but I go into every Titans game thinking, can the Titans score more than 30 points? Because – they're going to allow the other team to put up 30 points. It's, it's a fluke, but in the last seven games, they've, uh, they've held two people to under 25, 25 points or less. And it's uh, the Ravens and the Jaguars. And for, for whatever reason, the Titans defense does seem to play better against the Ravens. But right now it looks like if I was predicting the game, I would say that Mark Andrews is going to go ahead and get his a hundred, 120 yards a touchdown or two, and the Titans are just going to eat that because they do, then the running game is going to be strong. So my concern is, okay, if they're just going to allow that, is there any chance that, you know, a Dory on Hollywood Brown is a good matchup? Uh, Basically what I'm trying to ask is, is there any possible matchup with the Titans defense on the field that you think favors the Titans? Uh, I, th- I think the Titans have lots of assets defensively. I mean, Simmons, good player, and they have Dory Jackson. And who's the other corner right now? Who's healthy? Butler. Uh, but Butler's the good one. Dory's just coming back from uh, basically a year off of football. Okay. All right. And uh, you know, it's not like the Ravens, Ravens have great outside receivers. One of the things the Ravens need is kind of good weather. And there was a fairly windy game in Baltimore in the playoffs last year that impacted the first interception that was tipped by Andrews. And that really hurts the Ravens when there's bad weather. You'd think it would help a running team, but it doesn't because Jackson needs to threaten the entire field to make the run game its most potent. And so you really needs to have a, a, a good weather situation. Don't know what it, what's planned for Nashville or what's forecast for Nashville, but that anything like that would be, in favor, and then it always comes down to a number of very high leverage plays, which is what won the Titans the game last year. It frankly, it wasn't all the rushing yards that uh, um, Henry had, other than one sixty-six yard run. It was the the four big plays. They lost two fourth and shorts, and they lost two others on turnovers, and that was pretty much it. Uh, you know, if you if you wanted to look at games that decided in two thousand nineteen by high leverage plays, that would certainly be one of them. 
Well, let's talk about the Titans offense a little bit, because as you bring up, the Ravens have gotten less production from the inside linebackers in 2020. And those are obviously very important players when you're defending Derrick Henry and then you're defending the play action off of what Henry's able to do. How do you think that the Ravens defense will match up this time? You mentioned that the added depth and the more bodies on the interior of the defensive line. How big of a difference do you think that's going to make? And at the end of the day, how do the Ravens on defense stack up to, you know, a 2,000-yard rusher, a 4,000-yard quarterback, and 2,000-yard receivers? But I'm, I guess I'm frankly more frightened of the play-action game and just how effective that'll be. That's just been ruthlessly effective in terms of what Daniel's been able to do. And I know a lot of that is Henry, uh, just like a lot of everything the Ravens do is really related somehow back to, to Lamar Jackson on offense. But Tannehill's been wonderful. He's also been a threat with his legs, which is something the Ravens have not figured out how to counter uh, on picking up a couple important first downs per game. I think he had a rushing touchdown last year, if I recall, in the playoff game. And, uh, you know, it's, just, I, it's not obvious to me how the Ravens stop the Titans with their inside linebacker core. They bite pretty badly on a lot of play action, and, you know, that'll leave tight ends open over the middle of the field and, and you know, potentially slants to A.J. Brown and other such passes. Ravens have a great set of cornerbacks, but their safeties uh, and inside linebackers this game are really going to have to tackle well to, to make this work for the Ravens. When I think about the Ravens' defense, I think about stout up front and aggressive with their cornerback play, and that kind of gives them the freedom to come downhill and make those big you know, tackles for loss to get you in a bad down-and-distance situation. We, we talked a lot about the inside linebackers. I think something that they're going to try to do, you, you brought it up just a second ago, is the Ryan Tannehill running game. They've started to do this thing, and they did it two or three times last week, where they'll have Jonu Smith line up offset and they'll use him basically in this read option where they read option with Henry. Jonu Smith comes across the formation like he's going to sift block. Then he goes all the way around the formation and is basically just a lead blocker for Ryan Tannehill. I think the goal of that is to force the inside linebackers to cover side to side as much as possible and to put them in a situation where they just even if they're right, they're out of position because they have to wait so long for it. Is that something that you think if I would assume the counter to that would be the Ravens bringing, you know, their three safety look, bringing one of their safeties more aggressive up. Do you think that's something that they're built to do in terms of their three safety set? Like, do you think that if they're asked to say, you know, if Henry goes this alley, you've got to take him one-on-one, or is this a team where if the safety's one-on-one with Henry or one-on-one with Tannehill, you're concerned? One-on-one with Tannehill, I'm not concerned about a safety being in that position. I am, I'm, I'm, I think it's more likely that the entire team overcommits and leaves Tannehill unmolested for 8, 10, 12 yards. What, what does concern me more is that the Ravens don't have a three safety look, what you're mentioning. I mean, they had a, they had a dime last year and they, they relied on it completely this year. They're down to 16.1% dime and quarter play. And so they don't have a third safety. The, the guy they just signed this last week did not play this last Sunday is J Ron curse. And he could be the X factor in this game. Guy used to play safety with the lions and the Vikings before that he could be a guy to cover tight ends. I think that would be a good matchup for Ferkser on third down, just a, a, a a guy to put in that spot. And uh, he, he may also replace board on third down as the only effective inside linebacker. So he'd be a dime back with no other inside linebacker. Cause the Ravens play a five man package to rush the quarterback with 
four outside linebackers and one down lineman. So it, it, I think they have a potential X factor. They have a possible wrinkle Tennessee's never seen. But in terms of their three safety, look, I mean, the Ravens don't have one. They haven't had one all year, or at least not since the very beginning of the year. So um, it's, it's, it's been frustrating to hell as, as me. I'm a huge proponent of the dime package and the Ravens. Historically, they've always played outstanding dime defense. This year, they've been playing you know, an inside linebacker as what I've been terming as a proxy dime in, in my writing. You know, I, I think a lot of times in the NFL, teams get unfairly labeled if they're a run-first team as a, as a team that can't play from behind. This idea that, well, if you pride yourself on running the ball and that's that's how you score your points, if it you know, gets to be 14 to nothing early, it's it's over for you. We've seen the Ravens fall into that trap at times. I believe it certainly happened in the divisional game that they played against the Titans last year. But let's say that, you know, the Titans' high-flying offense does get off to a quick lead. Do you think that the Ravens are capable of, uh, uh, of coming back and having Lamar Jackson throw the ball a lot? I mean, I would grant, probably say that against the Titans' defense, just about anything is possible. Uh, you know, one of the things about that label is the Ravens in the Lamar Jackson era really haven't had to come from behind at all. So if you want to judge a quarter, a quarterback by fourth quarter comebacks or whatever, I mean, there aren't enough games to go on. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they've, they've led their games early. The, the record, I don't have it anymore, but they were 24 and 0 when they led at half point time at one point. I think the Tennessee might've been one of the teams that beat this. Now they have two losses in such situations, but you know, they just haven't had enough times coming from behind to make any reasonable judgment about, about what Jackson can do. And the game against Cleveland, of course, that you might have seen on Monday night was, was one of the really great ones in terms of, uh, of, of him having a, a comeback. I kind of had a hope that would erase the narrative, but that narrative is pretty well written from the last two playoff games, and I think he's going to have to start winning some playoff games for people to really realize just how special he is. Uh, th- this is more of a envious question, just pure jealousy from me. It, do you think Justin Tucker could hit a 60-yard field goal pretty consistently? And, and I ask that because the Titans have had inconsistent kicking for two years, and that was something that was talked about a lot before the first matchup. And in a game where I cannot imagine the Titans getting more than two or three punts from the Ravens, I, I'm my big concern is that it's just going to be a nonstop stream of points like it was when the Titans played the Browns and the Ravens are going to go ahead and get up early and they're going to feel like once they start to score, because last time they were held in the red zone twice, I believe, which I don't think will happen again. Uh, once once they start to score, they'll start settling for field goals and just constantly pour it on because that's when the Titans are at a disadvantage. So uh, again, the, the question is just how far are you comfortable with Tucker kicking field goals from? Uh, I, I don't know that I have an upper bound on that, but but in the in the mid to high 50s, he's been fairly consistent throughout his career. Um, but one of the the recent kick against the Browns from 55 to win the game was a kind of I wouldn't take it for granted. I thought it was a risk at the time they did it, but uh, you know, just he's confident as hell. He goes right out there and and does it. One he's missed this year. He did miss one short one, but he's basically been missing ones that have been extremely long. One from 61 earlier. And, you know, he's just, he's, he's remarkable. He's very special and, and we're happy to have him here. Kim, before we let you go, let everyone know where they can tune into your content and everything that you will have coming out this week. 
Sure. So we've got a great Know Your Foe episode. I'm just about to record at 3, 3.30 here with uh, Mike Herndon, and uh, that'll be on uh, later tonight on filmstudybaltimore.com. And all the podcasts are out there on a weekly basis and, and an offensive and defensive article that go into some detail on pass rush scheme and uh, packages and whatnot. Mike Herndon is one of our friends and one of our favorite guests, so you picked a, a good person to come on your, your podcast. Ken, thank you so much for your time. I know you had to fit it in a busy week, but we really appreciate it. Oh, always a pleasure, guys. Take it easy. Again, we want to thank Ken for taking time out of his busy schedule to do, join the show. If you want to go follow Ken to, to watch his Ravens coverage during the week, you can follow him at Film Study Ravens on Twitter. He, he's a great follow, and he does really great stuff, as you just heard. Now, guys, let, let's turn, as we look toward the end of this episode and the end of our preview, let's talk about our opinions about this game. What's, what do we think is going to happen? I mean, I, the Ravens are clearly a team that the Titans can beat despite the defense. Will you, or Matias, rather, you mentioned that they, they typically played Lamar Jackson very well these last two meetings between them. Is this when the dam breaks, or will we see more of the same? I don't know. I don't know. Just because the NFL is so random and football is, is, is very random at times in that no game is the same as any other game. Um, so I really don't know what's going to happen. I could see both teams winning without a doubt. Uh, if Derrick Henry has one of his you know patented games where he's just completely unstoppable on the offensive line is pushing the, the Ravens defensive line back at will – like the Titans are probably going to win this game because they'll just be able to control it for most of it. Uh, and they'll probably be able to get a stop or two uh, against Lamar just because the Ravens are very run based uh, and, and they're not really built to, to catch up from behind. So in, in that case, I, I think the Titans have a good chance of winning, but I don't know. So many times in the NFL, we see these teams get hot towards the end of the season. They go into the playoffs or they sneak in or something like that. And then they get hot in the playoffs and then they make a run. And I just feel like that's the Ravens right now. But maybe that's just me. I know Will probably doesn't feel the same way about them. We've, we've kind of talked about it um, uh, in the group chat. They really haven't beaten any good teams as of late, but... I don't think it really matters just because when you find your rhythm offensively uh, and defensively, especially going into the playoffs, that's enough to catapult you into some victories. And the Titans defense is just, I, I can't, I can't trust them to, to, to get enough stops to be able uh, to stop an offense that's humming like, like the Ravens office offense has been uh, over the past five weeks or so. So like I said, I don't know. If I were a betting man, I'd probably bet on the Ravens winning this game. But it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, to see the Titans have the same type of performance that they did last year uh, in the playoffs, just just needing a little bit more scoring because the defense isn't as good as it was uh, in the playoffs last year. Yeah, and the good news is the Titans do have the better offense. Like, I think it's pretty clear. Like, I, I, I know they've beaten up on some pretty crappy teams in the last – five weeks or so, but I mean, the receiving core is, you know, Devin Duvernay, Miles Boykin, uh, Willie Sneed, and then they play Des Bryant. So I'm like, that doesn't scare you. And then they use so many tight ends. Like 
they use uh, Mark Andrews as like their second leading receiver. Like, I, I mean, all that's all that can work. It can definitely work when you're a run heavy team like they are. But I, I, I don't know. Like, are you going to tell me that their best option is to run directly into uh, Jeffrey Simmons and Daquan Jones over and over and over again instead of taking their chances, dropping back and passing against this these defensive backs? Like, I it seems like what they want to do is kind of what the Titans want to do. And luckily the Titans seem to have more talent at defensive tackle than, you know, most teams. So it's like the one part of the Titans defense that I wouldn't want to challenge. Uh, and that's kind of the way they're built to challenge. So I think that hurts them more than people are going to understand. But yeah, I mean, having said that, do I expect them to score less than 30 points? No. So, it's do I think the Titans every game comes down to do I think the Titans can score 40 on this defense? And, you know, I would like to say yes. I would like to say that for every reason we talked about the historic offense we've seen before. And I tend to default to this offense can do whatever it wants, especially if they get in control early. Uh, I'm, I'm going to side with the Titans. I'm going to assume they win because – in a shootout, I think they're just more talented and they'll be at home and, you know, for whatever that's worth. But, uh, I mean, it, it is it is scary when you see a team come off so many wins and just come into the playoffs with a full head of steam. But they were on, what, like a 12-game winning streak the last time the Titans beat them in the playoffs. So, again, it's it's not some new foreign situation. I, I mean... Even having seen this defense play Lamar Jackson well, envisioning Rashawn Evans and Brooks Reed and Kevin Byard running around chasing Lamar Jackson is like vomit-inducing. You think to yourself, oh dear, that's not going to go well. Thank God I was on mute to collect myself because I was cracking up during all of that. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just the Rashawn Evans, the Brooks Reed mention got me. I'm going to be honest; that made me laugh. Well. <laughs> but it's, it's bad. It's bad. Like, like I got, I got texts yeah, during the Titans game. This year, now, I got, I, I got oh. texts during the Texans game. Who, who is this white, long-haired, blonde dude running around out there at linebacker? <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, you know, the defense is bad when my dad, who's like a very casual NFL fan, he's like, man, they suck. Like when you're <laughs> saying it, then you know it's bad. I, I will also throw in these two things. There is nobody I feel more confident in running the, you know, bend, but please drop it defense than Marquise Brown. Like that, that definitely helps a lot. And also it, on, on a more serious note, the Titans do have Kenny Vaccaro back, and they didn't have him the last time they played. And when they played in the playoffs, Kenny Vaccaro did a lot. Dean Pease talked about the other day how they used Kenny Vaccaro to spy uh, guys like Deshaun Watson and guys like uh, Lamar Jackson when he was the defensive coordinator. So, and you know, the last game that they played, Amani Hooker had an interception. He's gotten more runs. So, it is a faster defense than when they played them last time they did good against them because again they do have a Dory Jackson and having Kenny Vaccaro instead of 
uh, Rashawn Evans is your spy is a much better situation to be in. But you know, I'm not I'm not defending the defense by any means, but I will say like it is surprising to me that so many people are just picking the Ravens and they think they're going to be you know some big spoiler or anything like that. Like they they certainly could be, but. Everybody thinks, okay, if Deshaun Watson and that offense did that to the Titans, wait until they face a real offense. It's like, no, you don't understand. Everybody looks the same against the Titans offense. Everybody looks as good as they want to look, and if they drop the ball, that's on them. It doesn't matter if it's – I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't put any more points on us than Matt Stafford and his – and Chase Daniels or Joe Burrow or – what's his name that Gardner Minshew did when we played them in the first weeks of the season. Like it, none of those, none of those guys looked exceptionally better or exceptionally worse than each other. It just is. I mean, it's just, you're running seven on seven and you're going to put up a lot of offense. Like it doesn't matter the caliber of the offense. That's this weird misconception. The, what matters is can the Titans offense score 30? Can they score 40? Like that should be your confidence maker. I think we can all say this, like I already said, and I think we can close out this conversation. The Titans are just going to have to score a lot of points to win this game and every game for the rest of the playoffs. That's just the way it's going to have to be. This defense is not getting any better for the rest of this year. They've constantly proven that unless they play a terrible quarterback, they're not going to do anything. That's just the way it's going to go, and it's a shame. It's a real shame that they're wasting this offense potentially uh, because the defense is so inept. It's time to get to our favorite segment, though, as we round out this preview of a playoff game. It's time for Stop the Nonsense, our favorite segment. If you like Stop the Nonsense, you want to Stop the Nonsense t-shirt, you can go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash pod to pick up one of those who would like to kick us off for stop the nonsense tonight i got this one i'm going first it's gonna be pretty quick but it's pretty much about media figures football media figures just either being like extensions of coaches pr teams or or agents for the coaches it's very weird it's very weird and i noticed it a couple times uh over the over the weekend so Oh, no, actually, this was yesterday. Anyway, so Anthony Lynn got fired, the Chargers coach. Very overdue. Yeah, I've heard he's a great person, and, you know, I, I don't I don't wish that anyone gets fired, but he was terrible. He was just a terrible coach, terrible game situational awareness. He made some decisions this year that were absolutely baffling, and it cost the Chargers a lot of games. Uh, and Justin Herbert looks like a star uh, going into the future, so I'm glad that the Chargers actually – uh, made the decision to get rid of him, although we don't know who they're going to get. But anyway, so he gets fired, and Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter tweet about it pretty much back-to-back. And these are the tweets. So Rappaport, source, the Chargers and Coach Anthony Lynn are parting ways, comma, despite four straight wins to end the season. Because, of course, he he just had to throw it in there that Anthony Lynn – rallied the troops and got four wins at the end of a lost season. And then Schefter's tweet is Chargers fired Anthony Lynn this morning per source. Two seasons ago, Lynn led the Chargers to a 12 and four record. Then this year they finished seven and nine, winning their last four games, giving him a 33 and 31 record in LA. Like, why are you, why are you like 
giving him merit for going from a 12 and four record to a seven and nine record and barely being above 500 with the chargers who have actually a really good roster and an up and coming quarterback and probably should have been way better than they were. Then comes Mike Groffalo who quote, quote tweets a Ian Rappaport tweet report that says the chargers requested an interview with giants OC Jason Garrett for their vacant head coach job which in and of itself is a stop the nonsense because the Chargers can't possibly do this, but they might. Uh, And Garofalo replies to this and says, ignore the replies, Chargers. I dig it. He was a good head coach. In what world? In what world was he a good head coach? He completely held them back when they should have won multiple playoff games because they had a fantastic offense last year and the year before that. And they're the Cowboys. They should be winning playoff games every single year. And Jerry, Jason Garrett got fired because he couldn't do it, and they were terrible. Like, in, in what world is he a good head coach? I just don't understand these media figures uh, with a big following and, and who break who break news, like, on a consistent basis. They have to go out on a limb for these head coaches when there's no need for it. Like, just, just report the news. Why are you – why do you have to do this to yourself? They need to hire Arthur Smith is what they need to do. No one needs to do that. Nobody should hire Arthur Smith. Just leave him alone. Let him grow. I've heard Shane Bowen. Shane Bowen's name is being thrown around as a potential head coach. That I have heard too. And (laughs) Rappaport said that it would be a sneaky big move. Um, Sort of like defensive version of uh, Matt LaFleur. It's like he's actually doing more than you thought. Um, I'm going to go next just because I'm curious and I want to do, uh, I, I'm stuck between <laughs> these two. So I'll give you a brief overview of the one I didn't choose. And then I'll give you the one I did choose. Uh, so the one I didn't choose is, uh, this wins above replacement tweet from PFF where they said that, uh, the Colts got more, uh, wins above replacement. Uh, from their backfield tandem of Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Himes, Naheem Hines, uh, than the Titans got from Derrick Henry, which is, I don't know. I don't know if it's it angers me more because it's stupid or because it doesn't matter. Because it's basically like, well, what if they had? What if they hadn't been on the field? It's like, okay, well, you know, you're just guessing. Like the you had you have no possible way of measuring that. It, it's an imaginary stat. Like it means nothing. So uh, that was exceptionally aggravating to me early in the morning. Um, but what, what I'm going to end up going with is at Hoodie Ramey, uh, whose name is Rame on uh, Twitter. They, there was this conversation about how, from Ravens fans about how they hate the Titans. And I was like, well, that's weird. Like, I, you know, you don't I, I don't usually hear that argument from that side. So I clicked and kind of went down this rabbit hole and. It's this weird uh, backwards like Stockholm syndrome thing where the Ravens fans think that the Titans players are dirty uh, and that it's like that we're like the dirtiest franchise in the league and all this stuff. And, I, and specifically, Jeffrey Simmons was the guy they called the dirtiest player in the league. And somebody else, I'm, I'm not intentionally stealing their stuff. I don't have it in front of me, uh, said, pointed out kind of all the fallacies with this and said, you know, one of your players chop blocked up uh, Jayon Brown and broke his elbow. Like it ended his season on a play that was whistled for, like was flagged for that illegal play. Like 
I mean, very clearly a dirty move at best. But I mean, do we have to talk about the murderer? That I mean, do they have to talk about just Ray Lewis being a? I'm I'm gonna calm down and keep it PG. Ray Lewis was an alleged murderer, and everybody assumes he did it, even if he wasn't convicted. Much like OJ, the only difference is, uh, I mean, nothing. I guess like Ray Lewis hadn't got arrested yet, but it, it's insane to me that anybody from the Ravens, you know, fandom would have the gall or the audacity to bring up anybody on the Titans play on the Titans team being dirty. Anybody when Ray Lewis made his career doing things that are illegal now on the field and lived for the first half of his career doing illegal things off the field, just truly insane to me. I'm going to go with mine now. I said, I wasn't going to do this. I am. Just very simply, the guy that the, the congressman that led the prayer and said "Amen" and "A woman," what what are, what are we doing? I mean, I heard the analogy today. It's like going into a restaurant and asking for like a a woman you, and like there was a joke that was made today. It's like you know, uh, such and such state needs to institute a mask woman date. Like it's just absurd. "Amen" is not a gendered word. And it just sounded very, very foolish. I I mean, I couldn't stop laughing at it the first few times I saw it. It was just so patently absurd to hear someone say amen and a women after a prayer. It's just, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google amen and a women and you will find it. It's high comedy. Love it. It's very weird. (laughs) Very, very weird. Um... All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, I hope that we're back next week uh, and, and doing another preview. I think that would be great fun to keep this train going. I'm going to be honest, not terribly confident that that's going to be the case, but we will certainly see. For Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.